Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Hope everybody is having a great day wherever you are listening to this. Hope you're getting out listening to the podcast, but wherever you're listening, I appreciate it. And uh, we got some great insights for you today. Today on the program, I am joined by Jennifer McAdams. Uh, Jennifer is the Vice President of Demand Generation at Field Marketing at Progress out of Massachusetts. And uh, just a moment ago, she was wearing a jacket and I am not. <laughs> 104 degrees uh, here. What What is it like these days in Massachusetts, Jennifer? And thank you for joining. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um, I actually live in New Hampshire, so I'm a little bit further okay. north than, um, but not much, much. We're on the border there, but it's, we've had some mild weather. It's been like in the high 70s, low 80s the last couple of days. So it's been nice. nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, this was that time of the year that I would always love to come to that area and check out the fall foliage. And I've done some trips and driven up through Boston and Vermont and Maine, just that whole New England tour. But you know what? I'm only seeing my dining room and living room these days, so it's not quite as exciting. I miss it for sure. Yeah, I can send you some pictures. We're not quite there yet. This is a... I'm I'm a, I'm a gardener, so the tomatoes are just coming in and pumpkins will be That's behind it. them. We've got our tomato planter pretty much... All of them are, are we're, all, we're almost done with tomatoes and have two monster bowls that we're going to make spaghetti sauce out of. So I didn't know we shared that in common. Yeah, yeah nice. California gardening's maybe a little different, at least, at least where I live. We just have to have raised planter boxes, but we've got a few, some fruit trees. But let's talk about MarTech, something both you and I have a passion for. I, you know, before we get into kind of like your process for vetting, selecting and onboarding and offboarding technology, do you have a technical background or where does that where's that fondness for technology come from or was it in the role? I've never asked you that. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I do not at all have a technical background. Um, I've always been in in marketing. I, I went to Northeastern, which is a co-op school. So I had an opportunity to do some co-op assignments, try a few different things. But uh, I was early, er, lucky to early enough in my career to figure out that marketing is was what I uh, was most enjoyed. So um, I've, I have always worked for tech companies, though. So I think maybe it comes from that, you know, in, in marketing, our tech solutions, I'm always on the lookout for what kind of tech solutions are out there that can help us do our jobs better. As Cisco, uh, SAP, which originally success factors, but then over to SAP. And we were just saying, I just had Julie Knight on the program. I I'm, I'm, don't know if that podcast has aired yet, but um, both of you were there during the 10 years at uh, success factors and Worked with Progress Software and the team there. We talked about Anthony. I, I don't know where Anthony is these days. I'm going to have to look him up, but it's been it's been a little while. So you, I, yeah, my my background was technology, as I've often talked about at the podcast. So, you know, I, I had a passion for marketing and was like, wow, this is great. So we can apply technology to driving growth and driving revenue. Um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about what's in your stack, but where I thought would be a good place for us to start is... Um, you're, you're kind of always in window shopping mode. You're always uh -huh. looking out for MarTech. And you said, we were talking about the lockdown, and you said, I really miss the shows because I like going to the exhibit floors and walking the aisles and checking out new tools. And I do do that, and I still do it to this day. So talk to me about that. Why 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 look for tools? And is it is it need 
need comes first? Or sometimes have you discovered, hey, that's a cool tool. Didn't think that there was a piece of technology for that. But if we had that, we'd be able to do the following things. What's your perspective? Yeah. So uh, I think I shared with you too, um, one of our solutions currently uh, is in the MarTech space. So um, Sitefinity, I won't give it any more of a shameless plug than that. But um, but we we exhibit at MarTech conferences. So I have the, the uh, opportunity to, as we said, walk the floor and see what else is out there. So for, mm-hmm. for what we've been doing or what my experience has been is sometimes there is a need. So in this environment, obviously, everybody went from live events to virtual relatively quickly. So there was a need to figure out what's the best technology solution for us to do that. Um, so then we kind of shopped around and reached out and, you know, filled out the request for demo forums on websites and um, got got to speak to a few vendors to figure out which was um, which of our needs they could meet. We had another uh, opportunity. I, I think I was uh, it was Martech East last year that I went in with a need. I wanted to try to, uh, to get an automated fulfillment platform. Um, so that was the need that I wanted. But I think I left and signed two other contracts for other Martech that I didn't even know existed that uh, could make our life easier or generate more leads at scale. So um, it, it's really a mix of knowing knowing what's out there, knowing what your pain point is, but then also being open to discovering things that you don't even know what you don't know. Features are kind of interesting these days because it's you don't really get a really good demo at a show. Mm-hmm. You sometimes, you know, it's it's whoever the person is in the booth, depending on their role, they'll they'll maybe throw a few PowerPoint slides at you or maybe give you a little bit of show and tell. But I'd love to ask you, like, when you look at a tool, what what and this is really good for anybody who's an SDR or does mm-hmm. demos or on the sales side. What is your preferred way of discovering and learning about the tool? Kind of like PowerPoint versus demo combination. Love to get your perspective. Yeah, I think demos are great. Um, and that could be a combination of a, like a recorded online demo that you can do yourself or self-paced. I like live demos because you can explain more about your environment um, and explain more about you know, what, what your stack is. Uh, and, and that will determine what they show you and how it integrates. Because that's really the main, the first question is, you know, how is it going to integrate with what I already have? And, and will it work with my existing tools? So, and sometimes the answer is, well, we have an out of the box situation, or sometimes, oh, we can do something custom for you. But um, I went to a marketing event. And at the time, uh, we were on SAP as our CRM, and it was it was frustrating because every example was using Salesforce as a CRM. I said, "Well, that's not my life right now, so I need to look at things from a different way." So that's why I like live demos, so you can be clear about what your requirements are, what's important to you, and then hopefully the vendor is able to show you how to how to um, fit within your world. Yeah, I um, I'm gonna. You, you said plug. I'm gonna give a plug, but to a, a resource I think you guys will really enjoy. For those of you that haven't checked out yet, Demand Gen TV. What we did, Jennifer, is we launched a YouTube channel about ten days ago at the time of this recording, mm-hmm. and we have a couple different playlists. So one of the playlists is how Demand Gen does Demand Gen, and I have our head of marketing operations doing her show and tell of all the things that we do here in terms of our use of marketing automation and CRM and and we're getting to other MarTech, but we also have a playlist that is MarTech and, and soon will be sales tech, which is just demos. It's just show and tell of where someone can see it because I wanted to be able to provide a place for you and all of you like 
to go discover new tools and see demos. And one of the things is when uh, we we partner and we have Visible up there, we have Engage You up there, we have Bumbore up there, and a lot more now queued up to go. I say like, no PowerPoint, you guys. Just yep. show the product. Like, talk about the value proposition, you know, through the demo as opposed to like this whole bunch of foreplay about why you made the product, the positioning and messaging, like, like weave that in. So I'm, I'm more of a, just show me the product and I'll, and I'll kind of discern the why and the what, uh, from it. Uh, when, uh, you've, you, you've got some table stakes tools. You mentioned Mm -hmm. to me marketing automation and CRM and website. And boy, I hope you guys use Sitefinity. I imagine you own, use your own product for your website. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how many approximately, how many tools beyond that do you have in the stack there? Yeah, we did. Um, I think I feel like I'm doing more of a, a shameless plugs for Scott Brinker, but we did do a stacky submission and, and it grew and grew and grew. And I was so surprised that um, in looking at how we get our jobs done in marketing every day, all of the different tools that that we use and, and what people were putting on the table that I was like, oh, I wouldn't have even thought of that as MarTech. But you're right, you know, um, what we use to make our creative, what we use to store our creative, um, things like that are ended up in the in the stack diagram too. And we we called ours MarTech mission mission control. Um, nice. So it, you know, we, we, and we have different groupings for it. So planning tools, what are you using for planning? Um, creative and content tools, what are you using there? Engagement tools, so that's probably the biggest part of our stack, and that's where um, things like that that you mentioned, our website um, is, is comes into play. Eloqua is our our marketing automation platform, and then. Uh, optimization. So you can put some stuff out there, but then how are you testing it and how are you ensuring that you're optimizing it on a consistent basis? Um, and then lastly, measurement was the last bucket that we used in our MarTech stack. So there's there's almost like an infinite number of tools out there, um, depending on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And, and sometimes it's what your in-house team either maxes out on or needs help with or can help them scale too. So um, there's a lot in our stack. I think some of the tools that we've been most excited about lately are things that uh, we use Gaggle Amp as our sh- social sharing tool. So that's done a ton for us in terms of getting employees and partners uh, engaged on social. Um, and it's been so so welcome. I've been so happy with how welcome it's been by the sales force too, because the sales team, because some of them want to be more engaged and active on social, but they don't know where to start. So Gaggle really helps them. Um, so that's been an exciting one. I think in COVID, um, we did invest in a gifting platform, which has also been really exciting for the sales team that that with the switch to work from home, it was that much harder to reach people. The numbers might not have been the right numbers. You know, they might not have been where they were. So the gifting platform that we use Alice, there's there's others out there, but we love Alice because um, it does have an, a bit of AI behind it in terms of the gifts it recommends. So oh, really? yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so things like that, I, I think, I think what I realized is also probably table stakes for our business, um, is a data provider. So we, we, I don't know if we arrogantly let our zoom info license lapse thinking, oh, we don't really need it, but it was, uh, chaos without it. The team really missed having that convenience of data on demand. Um, so that's been great too, having them back, <laughs> back in the stack, 
Uh, mm-hmm. And then the other one is Tech Validate for content creation, um, for uh, proofing of customer testimonials and, and so on. So the team, that took off like a wildfire when we started launching our surveys to our customers and then coming back with really easy to publish quick facts, factoids and customer case studies that we could put on the website. And that's something that um, we struggle with. I think a, a lot of organizations struggle with it because it's not necessarily a priority for your customer to do a case study for you. Um, mm-hmm. So it ends up languishing and taking time and getting stuck. So this was a really quick way for us to get some of those customer proof points that are so important. You mentioned a bunch of tools there. And when I was having you go through, like you said, Brinker's got, I don't know, 8,000 tools, yeah. and 25 or so categories. Um, gifting, we're seeing more and more of our clients today integrate a gifting platform. I did a, a podcast recently with Sendoso. Like you said, there's a bunch of different tools out there. I encourage you guys to take a look at you know the leading ones. I'd say there's probably three top competitors in the gifting area and, and doing either print on demand or gift on demand. But as you said, like that, that's a very, it's a high touch and it's really nice to have kind of like this, you know, almost your own Amazon where your sales team or marketing team say, I need to send a gift on demand to someone and have that pick, pack, and and shipped. And then the data that you mentioned. By the way, I'm going to offer a couple of things. One, Jennifer, I don't know if your um, your stacky is up to date. The uh, your doc, if you want to send it over to me, I can link it in the show notes, uh, which which lays out your stack since you've publicly published that. Um, I also have some great resources for you guys on assessing your Martech uh, stack, and so I will link to a bunch of content that we produced in our resource center that will help you guys just good food for thought and, and kind of planning on how to ingest a MarTech tool, which I want to get to next with you and as well as assessing it. So let's say you go out, Jennifer, and you find, let's use, let's use a gifting tool. Mm-hmm. That gifting tool is not a set it and forget it product by any means, right? Yeah. So it's, that's, it's a commit. How do you go about, do you, do you pilot first or do you lay out uh, you know, some kind of plan that says, okay, when we get this tool, we're going to have to do the following things. How do you ingest a new tool, integrate it and, and be, make sure you're successful with it. And of course, if not, then, then you fail fast. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great, it's a great, um, it's a great question, a great way to look at things. So in this particular example, using that as an example, what I can find too, is that sometimes you have trouble getting people to adopt a new technology if it's, you know, quote unquote, not invented here, right? If it's not something that they found or brought to you, then it can, it can not get adopted. Um, so I, for this particular one, I had them demo to three of my sales leaders. So I said, okay, great. Here's Joe. Go do your research on Joe and make the recommendations of what you would send Joe. So we, we did a proof of concept um, across three, I think three or four of my sales leaders. So um, that was kind of fun to see how accurate the recommendations came back. And and uh, Alice uses a lot of the social cues. So what are you posting on your social media? And the one of our sales guys was like, you know, they, they, rec- they, they sent me a Bruins jersey and that's spot on. He's like, I don't think I've been on social media in about four years. He's like, but spot on with the Bruins jersey. So I made sure that they were bought in before we signed our contract and that they were excited by it. So, um, and then once we brought it in, it was that sales leader. We, we operate in a pretty strict cadence with what we roll out to the field. Um, and we usually don't roll anything out for the last three weeks of the quarter just to let them close business and so on. So, um, we're usually in a blackout period. So I, just the way things happened, I ended up signing that contract at the end of the quarter, but then they were all over me. They're like, no, 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 we have, 
deals that went dark. We need to start using this right now. So it was actually the inside sales manager who was like, I have a deal. Let's put it through. Let's put it through and see what happens. So um, mm-hmm. he had a deal that went dark on him. We put it through the gifting platform. Sure enough, got the deal closed. And then he was my champion getting his team to adopt it because he was such a believer. Um, so that helps too, to have an internal champion. And and I find proof of concepting, you know, let's let's do it once and then show success and then scale it out, which is what we did with Tech Validate too. We, we sent out a survey um, kind of quietly, like we didn't make a lot of noise about what we were doing. And then once we got the results back, we compiled it all into a, a, um, a PowerPoint deck to share with the with the teams, and everyone was like, how, "What product can we do next? How quickly can we do another survey?" So it was um, showing the value right away and quickly. I think is the key to showing ad- adoption or getting adoption. Let's talk about the failures of, yeah. of Deck because we've all had them. We've all bought something that we <laughs> like. Wow, this is going to be great, and like, I mm, guess we didn't get as much value um, from it. Uh, how? How do you sunset a tool or how, what's the triggers for you when you've said, you know, it's time for us to maybe migrate to another platform or to sunset uh, a tool? Because, again, stacks change, business changes, teams evolve. Maybe maybe you lost a resource who was the manager for the, the, the platform, right? You don't want to make sure you don't have a single point of failure for sure when you get these tools. I'm curious when you've had to say... Uh, bye bye. We got to get rid of this one. Yeah, I think we've had a couple a couple scenarios where we weren't realizing the value that we wanted to. So typically, when that happens, um, and hopefully it doesn't happen often, but I can think of a couple times where I did reach out to the vendor and just say, "Hey, it's not working for us. You know, or we're not getting what we saw in the initial demo. We're not getting the results." And a lot of times, I mean, the good vendors will say, "Let's try to make this right together. Maybe we didn't onboard you correctly. Maybe we didn't, you know, assign a customer success." manager for you, or, you know, maybe there's more we could have done as your vendor to help you um, get there. So sometimes we can course correct by working with the vendors. Sometimes you're right. It just, you get to your end of your contract and you're just thinking, well, I didn't get what I wanted out of this and there's probably no hope to do so. Um, But it can be hard. So for example, we had a, a video tool that wasn't really performing um, so I wanted to sunset it and the team would have had to move a lot of their videos from point A to point B. And it was, you know, a lot of groaning about why and why is Jen making us do this? And, you know, a lot of being the bad guy. But um, at the end of the day, you have to make what you have to make decisions that make financial sense for your company and your business. And, and if they're not living up to the promise in terms of either producing leads for you or helping your team be more productive, then um, sometimes you just got to pull the plug and, and walk away. And, and maybe it's a point in time too. You know, maybe you weren't ready for it. Maybe you will be in another couple of years or, you know, maybe if your situation changes or you onboard a new team or group of people that you maybe want to try it again later. I can relate 100% to the video conversation because that's literally what we're going through right now. So I mentioned like we launched DemandGen TV, which by the way, anybody want to check it out? The easiest path is DemandGen.tv, but I'll put a link in the show notes and it just takes you to the YouTube channel. So when we moved to YouTube, we have a video hosting platform that we've used actually for about six years. And we actually don't pay very much for it at all. I just want to disclose that like DemandGen probably doesn't pay for 80% of the technology that we use because our vendor partners or whatever give it to us um, and we use it. And so, you know, Salesforce, biggie, we do pay for that one. Uh, 
marketing automation system. We do pay a partner fee for that. Smart sheets, which we use for all of our client engagements, we we pay for that. Um, but a lot of the marketing tool sets we just don't do. So it's not so much about cost for us, but exactly like you said, when we decided we're going to do the YouTube channel, here's all the justification. We no longer need to host our own videos. We did initially because we wanted to control the video experience. We didn't want people to like be surprised with, you know, an election video at the end of our, you know, demo. Um, but those are not really the priorities for us anymore. We want to build a community on YouTube and we want to have our videos. But to your point, like the nurtures that point to those videos, the content that's there, there's a huge level of effort to remove 60 plus videos from an existing system. And you kind of have to think about that ahead of time, which is as we get this piece of technology, what will be involved if it doesn't work out and, and sunsing it? I, I hate to plan for failure, but it's reality is that as you as you bring these tools in, same thing on the gifting side, right? If you roll out all these sales enablement capabilities and you stitch gifting in and uh, into your nurture streams and that type of stuff. And you decide, I got to change vendors at some point. So I guess I would ask the question, like, do you pilot anything? Have you ever truly like piloted something as opposed to go all in uh, to see and then make a broader commitment to our vendors? Because some sometimes people will say, hey, maybe we should just pilot that. And mm-hmm. less and less vendors are doing that these days, but it, it's certainly been common for some. Yeah. So I we piloted two things recently, um, one on conversion rate optimization. And I thought I was so smart because they, I said, we, you know, we'll limit this in a, in a pilot way and that they agreed to that. And then I said, okay. And they said, well, we have two structures. Either we can just charge a flat fee or we can charge you pay for performance. And I thought I was so smart because I said, oh, let's go pay for performance, right? I'll pay per lead every day, right? No problem. Um, and then they overperformed. It was fantastic. And then I realized, well, I'm going to get a pretty big bill at the end of this. So um, so we did pilot that, I think, with success. And we are working on what our long-term strategy and engagement is for that conversion rate optimization. Um, and then we tried another um, another tool that was meant to be a pilot. Um, and it's it was also for really trying to capture people who are trying to leave your website, like give them one last chance and give them a preview of the content that they that they might um, have experienced if they actually stayed and converted on your website. So it was meant to be a pilot for I think we said two or three months on our website, but it ended up just taking almost 12 because they just weren't delivering the leads like that was we were supposed to get x number of leads within a certain period and it wasn't working for us but that was an example as well where we went back to the vendor and said it's not working for us in this way let's try something else so they had another type of implementation and we've we have since changed over and that's been going great so um yeah we, we do pilot when we can it's always best to try before you buy if you can yeah if you can if it works out it's kind of hard sometimes to to limp in and, and try something you almost you must have to like analytics tools uh-huh. right and it's kind of tough if you don't really stitch it together to everything and really have the data coming in you you, you um you won't get a, a full picture let's talk about negotiation and let me tell you Jen, i think i mentioned to you right before we hit the record button that i posted a really spicy topic on linkedin it's a it was a graphic uh, maybe many of you have seen it by now. Uh, just just went up, and it says Marketo on the left and a big versus Pardot, and that's the whole image. And it is at this point extremely engaged. The communities are weighing in, um, giving their opinions. 
to these different tools. And one of the things like the ground rules, they said, hey, it's election season. So let me get your point of view on these two platforms. And I didn't weigh in at all. And my team's not weighing in. We really want the communities to talk about what they like and don't like between these different platforms. And by the way, since you mentioned Eloqua, maybe we should maybe we should do another one and put Eloqua in there as a mix and see what people's thoughts are these days. But the point is, I said, ground rules, you can't talk about price. And I saw one person who really didn't like that. I put that as a ground rule, but I wanted to focus on the functionality and feature set because let's face it, even with your product, uh, pricing subjective, the mm-hmm. vendors get to make up what they think the software should cost. And Marketo back in the day used to cost like $12,000. You know, I saw plenty of SOWs uh, that were signed or uh, orders that were signed back in the day. And I know that HubSpot's pricing's changed over time and Pardot's pricing's changed over time. So that's co- totally subjective. What I wanted to say is like, what's the functionality that you really need and what you prefer? Um, now, even though it's subjective, that means there's negotiation, right? They have a suggested list price and you know, neg- so what negotiation tips can you offer up that have helped you get the best pricing uh, with with your vendors, so I think those of us who are work in demand gen, right? We're working hand in hand with salespeople every day, so we know we see it from the other side all day long. In terms of, well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna send them a strip line email, like, oh, if you don't close today, I'm closing your file, and you know, things like that. So we've seen the negotiation tactics from from both sides. Um, I think some of the things, it, with with the exception of the big guys, that's what I think, right? Like Oracle doesn't care about my contract with them, so. So, you know, some, some, with the exception of the bigger guys, I think the smaller players are always willing to work with you. And even if you say, look, you know, it's great. I like what you've shown me, but you're twice as expensive as I can afford. Um, you know, sometimes they can scale their package back and, and offer, you know, different options or less seats or something to get within your budget. So I think transparency and in, in what you're willing to pay too is helpful. Um, similarly too, it doesn't hurt. I, I actually, one of the big guys that did just offer me a 50% discount because they were at their half year mark. So they were trying to close business to get, get their half year closed. So no, Knowing their cycles too is sometimes valuable, you know, knowing when they're under pressure, same as like buying a car, right? It's always going to be a little bit better at the end of the month. You're always, they're always going to negotiate a little bit more if they haven't made that quota yet. So um, those are some of the things. I mean, the other thing too, is sometimes you do have an urgent pressing need and you just need to sign, you just need to get it done. Other times, if it's something that you haven't yet deployed and it's kind of a nice to have, Try going dark for a bit. You know, they might if you if you show that you're just not that into them, they might come back with a sweetened deal. You know, they might come back with something that they can give you either some free professional services to get you on board, or they might come back with an additional discount. I would I would want to challenge the the big guy thing. Just having been in the space for so long and having the vendors watch with our clients negotiate so many deals, I would say, you know what. David versus Goliath, no no pun intended. Negotiate like crazy, whether it's Oracle, Adobe, anyone, because you shouldn't be paying, quote, list price for this stuff. And I think um, there are techniques to do it. There's an acceptable amount to pay. If a product's providing value to you and, the, and, and really useful, great. But um, oftentimes they come in at list price expecting you to negotiate. Uh, and then all of a sudden the price goes, I don't like it when the price goes from like a dollar to 50 cents and there's that 50% off. Cause then you kind of feel like, you know, that, I don't know if I really like this sales cycle because wow, that's such a huge price Delta. I'm going to offer up my surefire way to, uh, have your pricing not increase. This is at least it works for me. Market research of one 
what I do like with my Salesforce contract, because they try to raise pricing every single uh-huh. year, about four months before our renewal date, and we have it set in our systems, we send them a note that says, hey, we want to let you know that we're coming up for renewal in four months for our CRM license. And we want to let you know that we need to know if pricing is going to stay the same, because if there's any increase to our pricing, it won't make our budget. And this will give us time to move off the platform. And we've never had our Salesforce pricing raise in 13 years of doing that. Um, I don't know if that's going to work for everybody because um, it somehow works for us. But I and and sometimes there's a justifiable reason to pay more than you paid in your initial years. But for what we use Salesforce for and, and the price, I think we're getting the right value. It'd be really hard for us to change CRMs, by the way. And I really <laughs> hope not listening. Because um, I'll probably do a seven percent raise next year. <laughs> Uh, the, um, other thing about, uh, tools, especially cross-functional tools is you really got to plan for the, uh, the unwinding of a technology, uh, you know, to do that. And I liked your story about, I mean, I think Henry Shook and the whole team at Zoom Info would be pleased to hear that when the tool went away, um, there was an outcry for it. And that's real good justification that, uh, that tool is providing value because oftentimes we deploy stuff to sales and, we never hear about it, and and therefore we know whether it's um, getting used or not. Do you guys have any sales enablement technology, kind of like Cadence SDR type uh, tools? Yeah, we for sales enablement we are using Litmus, um, and then for you know testing and and coursework and and that sort of thing, uh, we use Outreach IO for our emails. We're in a weird place right now. I honestly don't even know what's happening. We are using SalesLoft for our phones calls, but Outreach for our emails. Uh, I think they're going to converge at one point, and I think everything will be on sales loft. But right now we have the mix of technology. Gong is getting a lot of traction with yeah. some of our, do you guys use that? We or, don't know, um, but I've been on calls with vendors where I can tell they're using Gong. Yeah. Records all the calls and helps them know what uh, is working and what's not, you know, it's like this call is being recorded for, you know, customer. Well, now it's being recorded for, for marketing and sales uh, benefit as, as well. Uh, in terms of, you mentioned Eloqua, marketing automation mm-hmm. system. Like a lot of people, you know, we, we launched DemandGen in 2007, helping people with the use and adoption of Eloqua before Marketo or all these other tools ever existed. You guys are a bit of a diehard still there. What are your thoughts in terms of evaluating the marketing automation system, which is the cornerstone of everything every year? Do you guys look at it and evaluate it every single year, every couple of years? And, and how do you decide if you're on the right platform or not? Yeah. So uh, our Eloqua is very customized um, and it's very tailored to our businesses. So I, I work on one of our business units. We have three um, and the, the other demand gen folks for the other, other, um, the other business units, they have needs that are very different from mine. You know, we're selling enterprise software in my group. That group is more transactional e-commerce transactions. So their scale and velocity is different. Um, and then the third group is our, our um, sort of our incubation business unit. So they're they're working on experiments. So they're looking at a lot a lot more A/B tests and um, and that sort of thing. So Eloqua is also very embedded in our system. So in terms of integrations with our backends, and again, the three different business units have three different ordering systems and quoting systems. So in terms of being able to look at your file, David Lewis from DemandGen, I know you're on version 11.0 of this software. And 
I know that you ordered X many seats of it. So being able to market to you in that way with that intelligence from our backend systems um, is really valuable to us and Eloqua helps us get there. I, our Eloqua setup um, also, I've been, you mentioned I've been at Cisco, I've been at SAP, I've been at big companies that try to solve for oh, Jen wants one scoring model for her product, but Joe wants a different scoring model for his product, but we really just have to have everybody on the same scoring model. We Every single product in our in our portfolio has its own scoring model, which we can customize. We can customize for the regions to have their own needs. So I think our use of Eloq was pretty sophisticated, so it's therefore very embedded in our business. Um, mm-hmm. What I like too, though, um, and you you probably have a very good perspective on this, is there's a lot of things you can pop on top of Eloqua now, too. So you don't have to rip and replace your whole marketing automation platform if you want, say, a social functionality that Eloqua doesn't have out of the box or that Oracle doesn't have in an add-on. There's a whole ecosystem of third parties that you could, you know, bolt on the side or pop on top to get some of the other things done. Yeah, I think that's a huge value add. I'm glad you mentioned that. By the way, so this, you know, the, the, the post that I mentioned on LinkedIn is Pardot versus Marketo. And you just mentioned multiple scoring models. Again, I'm not weighing in on the post, but that's something you just can't do in Pardot. It is one scoring model. Take it as it is. And, you know, you, it, it's actually a combination of interest and explicit criteria in one model. You can't separate those two as two different measurements and then come up with a ranking that's that's kind of a cross between the two. So for folks like you and I that have done more sophisticated scoring models and have done multiple scoring models. That's just a DQ in terms of if, if that's your requirements. Uh, yeah, the ecosystem. So uh, Adobe has the launch point ecosystem. Uh, I think Eloquiz is called the App Exchange, uh-huh. App Cloud. Like, yeah, and, or Gallery, maybe. I don't know, it changes. But, but like you said, it's the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Because if you have a video platform, or you have a content management system, or if you have um, other components and you can all integrate your stack, then then it's it's more value add. And I'm surprised that some of the other marketing automation systems don't have those clouds. But I think it's, you know, catch 22, right? They had the market share leadership. And so people who are developing MarTech tools, like some of the ones that you use, are going to make sure that they integrate uh, to them. Um, virtual events, uh, you guys started doing quite a bit of those, right? Because the world changed uh, overnight and you went from one tool to another, correct? On your on your virtual side. Yeah, we have a couple actually. And again, it depends on what the needs are. Um, so we have, we have some products in our portfolio that we're actively doing demand gen for seeking new logos. We have some, um, a uh, couple of products in our portfolio that are more install base and loyalty plays. So we're looking to retain the base and um, grow and expand within them. But those those folks, those install base folks who have been with us for a while, they're used to a certain level of engagement. Um, and we've gotten into the cadence of doing live roadshows for to where their big hotspots are for our customers. So we'd go do the live roadshows. We had it planned. I think we had executed one um, and we had to switch to virtual. So that for that group, engagement was really important for us. We wanted to be able to have a main session and then have a break off session and have, you know, a speaker that they're very familiar with go over into one breakout room and have people be able to follow him. So for that level of engagement, um, we did, we use for that event, we use Bright Talk, um, which worked out really well for us. We're now planning a, a virtual partner event, which will probably be a much bigger audience. Um, mm-hmm. And for that, we we have been looking at Bizabo as our, our platform for that. 
Um, and then likewise, we had a prospect roadshow that we were doing it with uh, uh, an analyst from Forrester. So we'd paid money for this, uh, this analyst to come with us. So we wanted to get the maximum that we could out of that relationship. So we chose to do that one as on-demand only. Um, in in sort of a what we call a showcase of other speakers that were meant to speak with us in that roadshow. So we have a uh, we had partners lined up in every city to come do a case study. So uh, we turned all of that into on demands, and for that we actually used our own tool. We used Sitefinity, and when we, when we were doing a lot of the evaluations of what what are some of the bells and whistles of a virtual event platform, you know, some of the social sharing, some of the you know I want to chat with the speaker, I want to send the pe- speaker a question directly, you know, some of that I want to be able to recommend other resources that might be relevant. As I was looking through it, I said, you know, except for the streaming, Sitefinity can do all of this. So for our virtual mm-hmm. events on demand, we're using Sitefinity. I got one last question for you, Jennifer, which is about more about org structure and, and responsibility. For someone like you who spent more than a decade now in demand generation, what's your thoughts on marketing operations, you know, as a function, as a discipline? Does that belong under demand generation, uh, you know, adjunct to the demand generation team, because, you know, let's face it, if you're doing demand generation, coming up with all the campaigns and programs, that's a full time job and a half. And to be almost like a little shadow IT function and ingesting all these tools and integrating them and deploying them and and all that. stuff. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on, you know, in, in companies maybe of your size, what that structure looks like or what you think it needs to look like uh, for people that maybe haven't a lot of our clients. Um, as they're maturing, they don't have a carved out marketing operations function. They had like a marketing automation manager mm-hmm. who then often become the marketing operations person and now has more than just marketing automation. But then eventually they get to a, a function or department of marketing operations. And I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I think it is a question of size and scale. You're right. So in smaller companies that I've worked for, um, the marketing automation does sit with the demand gen team because you, you need that. That's one of your key tools. So I was surprised or I was a little worried when I came to this role at Progress and I've been here um, almost three years um, because the marketing automation system lived in a different group. It lived in a marketing operations group. But in coming in and realizing that the org structure with the different business units and having they're serving more than just me, they have multiple masters to serve. So it, it makes sense here for them to be in a shared services type of an organization. And that's the same way it was at, at larger companies like SAP and Cisco. You know, we had shared services or centers of excellence that would do some of the um, execution work or do some of that consolidation and, and be the experts in their field. Um, and then we we would lean on them to get the to, to get things done. So I think it can work both ways. And, and I think it, it can can be it will it will be situational right based on on how people's organizations are set up well i appreciate the time um talking about eloqua and app clouds uh reminds me that after the podcast i should schedule some time for us to show you a few tools that we built over the years that i've never actually put in front of you for uh building campaigns for doing email governance and even sdr functions so i'd love to get your take on it no powerpoint i'll just demo to you love it when we have Chance. But thank you so much. And hey, if you guys want to bang more questions off of 
Jennifer, uh, Jennifer McAdams, easy to connect with on LinkedIn, great person to have in your network. And like I said, check out the show notes. I'm going to link you guys to a whole bunch of resources that we have to just help you with MarTech assessments and planning and onboarding. And even, you know, is it time to migrate from one system to another so that you guys have some great resources besides Jennifer's uh, insights? Well, thank you. Give my best to the team. And I'm going to have to look Tony up and, and see where he is these days. But enjoy the conversation. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 